So we're in the days of Elisha, and just to give you a recap of where we're at in the story, all of the descendants of King Ahab have been killed. His wife Jezebel and all their 70 sons and all their bloodline. And this guy named Jehu we saw, he, he was the one walking this prophecy out that Elijah had actually put on him, and it was confirmed by Elisha. And he was supposed to take care of all the bloodline of King Ahab. Well, he went a little bit further last week than he should have. He did fulfill the prophecy to take out uh, Ahab's descendants. But he went a step further and killed all the worshippers of Baal and Samaria. And in doing that, he left golden calves standing. And when he left the golden calves standing, it didn't remind people of God. It reminded people of Jehonadab. And we talked about last week how... Uh, even though he had good intentions of taking these golden calves and saying, hey, we can use these for the glory of God, that was not God's plan. God had a very specific assignment for him to do, and sometimes when we're not being obedient to God, we can get the zeal about us where we're going forward, and before we know it, we start to take things on that God never asked us to take on. You ever known people like that? It happens in the church a lot. We're, we, we start like kind of moving and going on what God wants us to do. And before you know it, we're trying to do things that he never designed the house to be a part of. Right? And that happens with everybody. Well, I, I want to kind of use that to go into tonight's message. Because there's a, there's a preacher, some of you may have, may have heard him before. His name is Mark Driscoll. Anybody ever heard of Mark Driscoll? He, uh, he said something really good that has stuck with me through the years. He said this once that with every kind of subject, you can do one of three things with it. You can receive it, you can reject it, or you can redeem it. Receive, reject, redeem. Can someone say that with me? Receive, reject, redeem. So in, in other words, some things you can just receive them as they are. They're just good, right? Like we, we, we can receive the fact that we take communion. We receive the fact that we can worship God. We receive the fact that, that, that there, there, there's a place we can go to worship together. Some things you can just receive. But there's also things we can redeem for the glory of God. Things that aren't necessarily in Scripture, but things we can redeem for the purposes of what God has for it. Does that make sense? We can, just like Jesus redeemed us. Right, We were born into sin, and he came with a redemption plan to say, even though you're messed up, even though you're full of sin, I'm going to redeem you and restore you back to your original purpose. I can redeem you, so even though you went in the wrong direction, starting right now, I don't even count that wrong direction against you. We're going to start all over, and you're going to be reborn into your original purpose, right? Well, then there's the reject thing. Some things you could just, that God says, you just need to reject completely. And I think we forget about the reject part. And I'm, I'm gonna, we're getting close to the season, so I'm going to say some controversial things tonight. And if you disagree, I don't care. But <laughs> there are certain things we should just reject. Now, my role in this house is I am held accountable to God for every decision that uh, I make as a leader on behalf of this house. And some things you may not agree with, but I'm not here to please you. I'm here to please him. And, and, and whether or not you get convicted by the same things or not, that's on you. And I'm not saying that you might be right or wrong. But as far as, as I'm concerned, I've got to make sure that I'm seeking God. And 
a lot of churches are scared to go against the cultural norm. And a lot of times we just receive things as they are that we should, quite frankly, reject. I'm talking about the holiday known as Easter. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, at face value, I think the church looks at Easter and says it's something we can redeem. We can use the idea of Easter eggs and redeem it as a kid's event to try to use it as an outreach. Or, you know, we can redeem the idea of the, the Easter bunny and, and, you know, oh, the Easter bunny worships Jesus. And, you know, we, we can redeem all these things. But quite frankly, if you understand the root of Easter, it's actually quite an evil thing. The word Easter actually derives from this thing called Eostre, and when we, when we give glory to this holiday, Eostre was actually a god, and the god like, 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 like did things with stuff, and it, I'm not going to go into detail, but it's, just, it's, it's not great. And really and truthfully, if you read the scripture, the scripture gives us many ways to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but we reject what scripture says in Leviticus, and we try to redeem a pagan holiday. Now, I'm not telling you that you need to, I mean, I am, but I'm not, that, that I'm not saying that, oh, you're a bad person if you don't go change this thing at home. But I know on behalf of this house, we're just never going to celebrate the idea of Easter. You know, we used to do Easter egg hunts when I was dumb, like four or five years ago, but since, since I've understood more of the, the roots, as a house, we just kind of reject that idea. Because uh, I, if my God says this is how we can glorify him, I think his way's enough. You know, and it's things like that. We, sometimes we just redeem at face value or we receive at face value. And some things that we're just called to reject. God didn't care what Jehu's idea was when he said, let's take these golden calves and give it as worship to God. God said, I don't care what your intent is. I don't want that. I don't want that. Is this too in your face? Is this okay? Okay. It, I mean, you know, we're, we're called relentless, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> these, these, these golden calves, even though he's, okay, let's lose it for the worship of God. God's like, no, 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 I don't want that. And Jehu is so zealous in what he thinks, his, he's getting to this place where he thinks his opinion is kind of outweighing God. Well, having said that, Jehu has died after reigning for 28 years, walking out this prophecy and we're coming to the place in 2 Kings 11 where we're going to see a lot of changes. And we need to understand this idea of receive, reject, redeem, and no more treaties to understand the context of this passage. So y'all ready? Okay. 2 Kings 11 verses 1 through 3. When Atalia, the mother of King Ahaziah of Judah, learned that her son was dead, she began to destroy the rest of the royal family. Now keep in mind, this is her family. So her son died, the throne is open, and she's like, that throne's going to be mine. I'm going to kill my family. Yeah. But Ahaziah's sister, Jehosheba, the daughter of King Jehoram, took Ahaziah's infant son, Joash, and stole him away from among the rest of the king's children who were about to be killed. She put Joash and his nurse in a bedroom, and they hid him from Atalia. So the child was not murdered. Joash remained hidden in the temple of the Lord for six years while Atalia ruled over the land. I read that and I thought about the legends of the hidden temple. Anybody know that show? Y'all don't? Okay, y'all don't know God. All right. So Ahaziah died in 2 Kings 9, 
And his mother, Atalia, used this knowledge of death as an opportunity to take power for herself. And she reigned for six years. She was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, okay? And she was married to Jehoram, okay? She was, a, she, was, she was very, she was a bad influence on Jehoram and even her son, Ahaziah. Jehu was completely, Jehu has completely destroyed all of the descendants in Israel, but now she's got an agenda, okay? She says, my family's been taken out, so I'm going to save what's left of my family's name, and I'm going to make sure I get this throne, and what I don't want is I don't want anyone from the bloodline of David to take the throne. Because up to this point, they've been very successful of making sure that evil has taken the throne to rule the area. You hear me? Atalia begins to destroy anyone connected to the house of David. Now, years before this, there was a guy named Jehoshaphat. Y'all remember Jehoshaphat? He was a man of God. He loved God. He worshiped God. But what he did was he married his son to this woman who was a daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. His intentions were good. Why did he marry off his son to Jezebel's daughter? He figured, let's make an alliance to get some peace. Let's make an alliance to get some peace. And the fruit of this alliance was murder, coming against God, greed, and killing off anyone in her family that, that was part of the, the, the other side's bloodline because she said, I want evil to take place of this thing. And I pointed out, I point all this out to say this, not every opportunity to make peace is one that God wants when there is mixture in the alliance. Not every opportunity to make peace is a God assignment. When there is mixture in the alliance. And so often we make treaties with evil instead of learning to separate from it. I think this is one of the most biggest issues in the church. We prostitute the word grace and we use it to try to make anyone feel justified in their sin life because we'd rather keep them here than have them leave because they got offended with truth. We've got too much mixture. We, we're buying into this lie in our culture of just make sure they feel loved. Part of love is showing them what's keeping them from their destiny. Not having them embrace the idea of their chains. But we'll try to make alliances with anything to keep the peace. That's called false unity. And we think as long as we can make peace, it's okay that we have our differences. But that's, that's actually not what the scripture... Now, I'm not talking about the nuances of theology. I'm talking about a lifestyle of evil and a lifestyle of pursuing God. Okay? This is what the scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? It's literally impossible. 
when you turn the light on, there is no darkness. Yet we are a church that claims to be the light of God, and the church has intermingled with so much darkness. What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Y'all hear that? This ain't talking about marriage. This is talking about anything that may include marriage. How can a believer be a partner with number? Now, that does not mean that you are not going to be around people who don't believe the same thing you do. But there's a difference between being in the world and not being of it. And a lot of times we try to make an alliance with those who are not seeking God and we start to intermingle our lifestyle. And before you know it, we've got a problem with mixture. They can't distinguish us from anything that they believe. There's no difference. There's no light. We've made an alliance with darkness. What union can there, can there be between God's temple and idols? <clears throat> Easter. <laughs> For we are the temple of the living God. Who's the temple? Not the building. You. Okay? Okay. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Therefore, in other words, if I am your God and you're my people and I walk among you and live among you, come out, verse 17, from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and then I will welcome you. I will, don't touch filthy things, verse 18, and then I will be your father. Oh, and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You know that scripture we always re refer to when the scripture says, many will call upon my name, but I will say to them, I never knew you. You want to know why God doesn't know you? Because you're mixed too much. You claim to be a son or daughter, but when he looks at you, he doesn't see anything that's related to him. I know that kicks a lot of theology in the face, but it's time we start doing it. Because I think a lot of our theology and beliefs in the church have become way too mixed with worldly ideals. Is this okay? The original language read, do not be unequally yoked. Not just talking about marriage, it's, a, it's actually coming from Deuteronomy chapter 22, which is talking about do not yoke two different animals together. In other words, it's saying do not join two opposing things. It can't be done. And what we love to do is we love to yoke worldly thinking and influence to a church that should be married to the Father and trying to redeem the world. But we're not trying to redeem the world. We're trying to receive it as it is, hoping to build our churches. And that's why in America the church has no power and is not transforming anything because the church doesn't look anything different than what the world looks like. And I'm not talking about the physical stuff. I'm not talking about, oh, let's 
paint the walls black and put projectors up so we can be relevant. I'm not talking about that. Obviously, I'm not against that. However, a lot of people put definitions of that into walking into new wineskin. The new wineskin that God needs for the church is not a new look. It's people who are ready to be exposed to the point of change. Damon Thompson's been talking about this a lot lately. He said that the, the thing about a wineskin, it had to be exposed to oil and fire, so something that wasn't meant to be stretched or changed the shape of, it was at a place where it could be stretched to change to fit a new thing. Where the church needs to be, we got to be at a place where we are hungry for God so much to a point where we are exposed to whatever He wants to expose us to so that we can be ready to receive whatever He wants us to receive. But what we've done is we've adopted this false idea of new wineskin means style, and we still have no room for Holy Spirit to do what He wants to do. Is this Okay. What we do is we have yoked worldly thinking and influence to the church and we receive anything as it is and we're not bold enough to love them, to love people to the place where they are going to be exposed to something genuine so that they can go through a transformation themselves. And they're never exposed to the, to the light that takes out their darkness because you have become mixed too much yourself. We've made too many peace treaties with evil and we call it redemption. I don't recall God talking about a redemption plan for Satan. But what we do is we want to have good verbiage and good talk so that the worst person can come into the church. But what happens is when we mix the, the, the wrong thinking, the worst person comes into the church and they never change. And you think you did the kingdom a favor by just changing their location? Our heart should be to be in such pursuit of God that when someone comes into the fold, they have no choice but to change, and then the change and transformation that takes place in them will go transform whatever environment they know is home. We cannot have union between the things of God and things not of God. We're called to change it, not accept it. I believe why, that is why we are called to be an apostolic house. The word apostolic comes from a very simple idea of the head ship and a fleet of ships. In other words, it's going through uncharted waters and the rest have to follow. And I heard something incredible today from, from one of the uh, apostles in, in, in the network that we're a part of. He said, he said something incredible Apostolic leaders and apostolic people will feel lonely because they go to places that everyone else rejects at first because they don't know it. And we have to accept feeling the loneliness and the outcast stuff because they won't get it now, but they'll get it later. And if we've got to look different and reject things that they accept, I'm willing to pay that price 
Because when we go into uncharted territory, when we navigate through waters that haven't been navigated through, God's going to take us to a place where no one else has been so that we can share it with everyone else. Not so that we can be lifted on this pedestal and look what we did. But the point of going to new places is so that the church would have an awakening that couldn't happen had we not gone to a place no one else wanted to go to. And the only way we get to that place is no more mixture. How many of you would say that you were hungry for a move of God? Okay. I hope that we are. But you see who's hungry in their lifestyle, not their words. Because we can say we're hungry all I want, but if I, can't, if I said tonight that God is telling me that we need to meet Tuesday night at 10 p.m. because we're supposed to pray into something, everyone would say the same thing, it's too late and I got to work. That's not hunger. Because part of the mixture of the church is that we say we want God, but when God says to get uncomfortable, we reject the idea. I'm not saying that God's told me to do that Tuesday night. Don't, don't worry. But I do believe there's going to be a day where God puts demands on us that are very uncomfortable. But our mixture of the world has said that church and God, even though we like to say he's the head of our life, we put him second, third, fourth, and fifth to what works for us. And I say that the body of Christ needs to get to a place in our realization where we say, you know what? I am not going to mix with this second-rate idea. If he's my king, then when he says something, I don't say, if I have time, I say, yes, Lord. There's a problem in the church when we accept anything and everything and it's caused so much mixture that the church is powerless and when there's that much mixture, the light that we are supposed to exude like a city on a hill becomes very dim and no one knows where to go. And that's why everyone is getting uh, partnering with anything they can to find identity because we cannot show them who the true king is. Atalia begins to destroy anyone connected to the house of David. And when, they're, and when they're doing this, they're making all this mixture. They got all this stuff. Do you remember in the scripture that we just read where it says that we are the temple of God and God's temple doesn't need idols? Paul says God's temple cannot be united with idols. What did Jehu do? Put idols up in glory of God. This, this may be too much for some of you, but that's exactly what the, 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 the Masonic temples do. The Freemasons. They're not of God. They just tell you that so that you'll accept it and be part of that mixture. And if any of you are a part of that or you've got family a part of that, go ahead and start rebuking it and get out of it. He says, remember, you are a temple, and in God's temple, there is no room for idols, so separate yourself from it. 
Then God will be your father, and then you will be sons and daughters, separated and holy unto right standing that you can never earn and that you can never buy. The right standing you got by what Jesus did for you on the cross. Is this too hard? I don't care if it was. Romans 16, 17 to 18 says this. I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you've been taught. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. Let me say this, truth without unity leads to pride. And when that sets in, we start making up stuff that causes people to go off to themselves and they separate from the church instead of being unified to the church. And at the end of the scripture, notice it says that they deceive innocent people. That word innocent, back in the original language, actually translates to young in the faith. Why is it that anyone that's considered a millennial or the next generation or anyone under 40 for that matter, why is it that everyone is marrying themselves to witchcraft and all forms of false worship? Because they're immature in their knowledge of truth and, they meet, and the treaties that the church has made with the world is feeding what they're searching for. And they can't find it here because they don't see anything different in the church than with their witchcraft or with their spells and idolatry. Or they can't see the identity of Christ in the church, so why don't they just find an identity of whatever gender they want? They're supposed to be finding everything they need in him right here among the people, and they won't because we walk into a place. We don't have to be perfect, but we must be in pursuit without mixture. First Corinthians 15.33, don't be fooled by those who say such things. Bad company corrupts good character. You want to talk about mixture? If you surround your private life with people who are not seeking God, no matter how much you come to church and say in the name of Jesus, there is, you will be corrupted because you've made a treaty because you want to just accept them. You can accept them without being mixed with them. And half the church... The closest people that we have relationship with are people who don't know our God and we go to them for advice and you wonder why your life screwed up. That includes your mama, that includes your daddy. I don't care who they are, if they give you advice opposing scripture, don't take it. There's a, there's a difference between honoring mother and father and listening to everything they say. You are never to not listen without honor. I want to put that out there. But there's got to come a point where we understand what we surround ourselves with, whether you like it or not, it defines you. The stuff you put in your ears, the stuff you watch 
hopefully with your eyes, because I don't know what else you'd watch it with. The talk, have you ever noticed that when you're around certain people, your language starts to shift? Everyone who cusses becomes a, a, a pure spoken person in church. Mm-hmm. And then it works the other way. Can I be transparent? Because I'm not going to be one of these people that claims to be a perfect pastor. When I get around f- friends from my past, it takes five minutes. And everything that I used to say st- starts just flowing. But did the pastor just say, yes, I did. Get over it. But you know what it's caused me to do? I can't be around them. I have to invest in different circles. Because I'm not too prideful to point out my weakness. Luke 14, 26. You want to be my disciple? You must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, brothers, sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. If you want to learn to be of him, you have to be willing to leave what you love if it's corrupting you. What is he saying? He's not saying you got to hate your parents. He's saying that he has to have priority over everything that the world has taught you has priority over your God. In other words, he says, I want you to have a life of of separation without treaties. No more mixture. Why why, why am I getting so hard on this? We are not going to be the kind of house that has no light exuding from it. We are not going to be the kind of house that when people come in here, they're still searching for identity. I say, let's be the kind of house where when you walk onto this property, something shifts in them, and they can't explain it. They start talking to people, and and people start connecting that we can't explain. Have you noticed that lately? There's just a connection happening that we don't have to have a church event to make happen. We don't have to have, you know, potluck Sunday for people to learn to love each other. I love that. But it's going to increase if we all get on the same page of no more treaties. So all this is going on with Natalia. She's, she's starting to murder everyone. And then this, this one woman who we don't know much about, this Jehosheba, she, she does something incredible. She takes Joash and she hides him. And in that moment, she preserves the royal line of David through which Jesus would come. How? She took Joash and made sure he was safe. People will begin works of evil against God's plan, but God will always raise up a Jehosheba. Which tells us something. His plans are up to you. It's not, it's just going to happen. It's his plans will come to pass, and they may be prolonged, but he will always raise up someone to help set things in order and preserve the plans. 
That's why the fivefold ministry gifts of the apostle and the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher cannot be done with because there's too much stuff we still have to redeem and reject and go to new places. Because God says, y'all are messing up and I'm looking for a people, a remnant, who I can raise up to set the church back in order. Because right now, the furthest thing the church is, is in order. It's getting close, it's getting better, but it takes all of us. Not a pastor that gets paid a check, it takes everyone. You want to know why? Because everyone has something to bring to the table. A vision like this cannot come to pass based off of one person that knows a lot of stuff that can preach and teach. It can't happen. The, the thing that God wants to do is to transform every single person so that what, whatever we influence can give glory to God. We have got to get out of the day where we're trying to bring the world into a church event or a church conference. We are walking into a day where we are going to teach you and we are going to learn from each other kingdom principles so that you can take it into your business instead of being guilted for, instead of being, feeling guilty for having a business in the world and not doing it in church. God wants you to take whatever you've got and whatever you've invested in and shift it for his glory. Can you imagine the companies around the world if they gave God glory? Everyone depends on the same stuff. Can you imagine what believers could influence if the stuff that the lost depended on gave God glory? You want to get real? Offensive? Can you imagine what would happen if the church would stop bad-mouthing Biden and pray that he would be redeemed so that instead of you saying F Biden and I hate Biden, one day you turn on the TV and Biden says, clearly. <laughs> that the reason I come before you, nation, and the reason you can understand me clearly is because last night I had a meeting with Jesus. And he restored everything in an instant. And what if he said everything that I've done is wrong and we're going to make a shift because I'm the president of the United States. What if that happened? But it won't happen when the church that's not supposed to be mixed, bad now a leader, we got to pray into it. Because I, we need your influence. We need your prayers to burn like incense in the temple of God. That's what... That's the church that this nation needs. Where am I at? Hmm. I believe God is wanting a church to rise up that is no longer making mixture and treaties with entertainment in the world and religion. A remnant that is obsessed with an identity that is so wrapped up in marriage to him that we don't have time to have an affair on him. Because a treaty with evil is the bride having an affair on the groom. Amen. You know what's interesting about Joash? The one, the baby that was hidden in this text? 
He was hidden in the temple of God for six years. He grew up being separated and hidden from the world in God's temple. Maturity is not the years you have on your life. It's growing and understanding who God is. And many of us need to learn how to get hidden again because your identity has been formed out of false treaties and some of the treaties are not that obvious. You want to know how you find out where you've had mixture? Get hidden in his presence so that he, you can be at a place where he exposes it. But no one wants to get hidden anymore. No one wants to pursue him anymore. We want to make any treaty we can to make excuse for our lifestyle. That's not what God wants. He doesn't want part of you. He loves you so much that he wants the whole flipping thing. He wants all of you. He wants all of me. He wants all of us. And he wants it together. It's okay. Look at verse 4. In the seventh year of Atali's reign, Jehoiada, the priest summoned, okay, J the priest summoned the commanders the Karite mercenaries and the palace guards that come to the temple of the Lord. He made a solemn pact with them and made them swear an oath of loyalty there in the Lord's temple. And then he showed them the king's son. So Jay, the priest, told them, this is what you must do. A third of you who are on duty on the Sabbath are to guard the royal palace itself. Another third of you are to stand guard at the surrogate. The final third must stand guard behind the palace guard. These three groups will guard the palace. The other two units who are off duty on the Sabbath must stand guard for the king at the Lord's temple. Form a bodyguard around the king and keep your weapons in hand. Kill anyone who tries to break through. Stay with the king wherever he goes. That's like hashtag goals for like... No, I was kidding. So the commanders did everything as Jay the priest ordered. The commanders took charge of the men reporting for duty that Sabbath, as well as those who were going off duty. They brought them all to the priest, and he supplied them with spears and small shields that had once belonged to King David and were stored in the temple of the Lord. The palace guards stationed themselves around the king with their weapons ready. They formed a line from the south side of the temple around to the north side and all around the altar. So this priest was a godly man, and he was concerned with one thing. I need to restore the throne of David to the one who is in David's bloodline. Because right now, the throne belonged to Ahab and Jezebel's heritage. Okay? So he chooses the Sabbath day. He chose the Sabbath day because this is when the guards change shifts, and it wouldn't draw much attention to what actually is happening. So he gets everything together, and then he makes a covenant with the guards. What does this say? The worship of the one true God was not dead. Because for six years, everyone believed that there was no survivors of David's bloodline. All hope had seemed lost. And when all hope is lost, you got to make a decision of one or two things. Stay true or make a treaty. And the fact that these commanders, at the drop of a word, we're going to go against the current government and side with the priests. It says they were just looking for a leader. They were looking for someone to take the lead. 
We can talk about the lost all day, but you know what? It's not that the problem is them wanting to worship something. It's that they, they got no one to lead them in, in who to worship. Because when they look at the church, they just see false. They see fake. They don't see genuine. And we got to change that. Atalia reigned for six years because no one knew any alternative and no one knew that there was a legitimate king. A six-year-old boy growing up these past six years and I believe that many live under Satan's bondage because they don't know that there's a legitimate king named Jesus who's ready to sit on the throne of their lives. And what do many churches and people of God do? We make treaties to reach them and we don't reveal the king who rules us. It's like all these churches saying it's okay to be gay. You know why they're doing it? Because they've made a treaty to reach the lost. And all they do is say, wear your chains here. You think God wants that? He doesn't want anyone in bondage. You want to know what true love is? Show... Show them who they really are. Well, I can't do that. I don't have that kind of power. Actually, yes, you do. You got the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you would make sure that you are not full of mixture, then when you get around anyone, God can do anything. There's a scripture we misquote all the time. We're not called to judge anyone. That's not what it says. It says, remove the plank in your eye so that you can be equipped to judge. You got to read the whole thing. What does that mean? I want to make sure that I have little to my, 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 I strive for no mixture so that I'm ready to be used in any way without any hindrance. That's where our hearts need to be. That's where our pursuit needs to be. Not point out the sin, but I want to be in a place where when people get around me with chains, the sound of my praise causes those chains to fall off. And notice what it says. It says that the weapons were given them to guard this true king were ones that belonged to King David, and they were stored in the temple of God. Don't fight the enemy with your weapons, with your ways and your strategies. You need to fight the ones that belong to the true king. You know what 2 Corinthians 10 says in verses 4 and 5? It says we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Just stay right there for a moment. When you try to witness to people today about Jesus, everything they do is bring their reasoning and their logic. And God says, I've got weapons for you to deal with those strongholds. Why is it called a stronghold? Because if they have reason, it's really strong stuff that's hard to break through. And you won't break through it with your ways. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Now, we read that scripture and we talk about we got to use God's weapons and we shout, yay, but what are the weapons? Like, okay, 
preacher. What are the weapons? I'll tell you what the weapons are. One weapon is the Word of God. It's called the sword of the Spirit. It's how to overcome temptation. It cuts through everything. It divides truth from false. You want to know another one? Prayer. Probably the most overlooked weapon in the armor of God. After the armor of God is given, the last thing it says, it says pray in the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit's the one who directs you toward the will of God. You want to find out how to, to fight battles? Let God direct you in which battle to fight. Not whatever battle that you want to do. You want another, another weapon? Worship. You know, you know how many times in the Bible that worship confused the enemy and the enemy offed itself? How many times in the Bible where worship caused prison cells to shake loose and doors open? Worship. The name of Jesus. Demons fear and tremble at his name. It says every knee will bow. That's the greatest thing you got. But you know what the name of Jesus is? It isn't just saying his name. It's understanding your identity. Because if we are so lost in who he is, when we talk, they're hearing the name of Jesus. Because Jesus is the word that became flesh. So when we understand who we are, everything we exude should be in the name of Jesus without having to even say, in the name of Jesus. But you know why we don't have that kind of power? Mixture. You want another weapon? Fasting. Isaiah says it, it, it looses the bonds of wickedness and undoes heavy burdens. You got stuff in your life you need to be loose from? Fast. Ask God to deal with it. You know what another weapon is? Your testimony. We overcome by the word of our testimony. Well, I'm just not ready to share. Well, then you ain't ready to fight. You, you know, if you would just get, if you would just share your I'm not talking about your salvation story. I'm talking about your testimony. I heard someone say this once. When, when, when we talk to people and they say, hey, how have you been? You don't say, I was born. Do you? No, you talk about your life. What is salvation? What is salvation? You're reborn. You're reborn. And everyone's on the same thing. Tell us your testimony. Well, I was born. Okay, but what happened after that? Tell us the testimony of how you overcame depression. Tell us the testimony of how you overcame anxiety. Tell us the testimony of how you won your kids back. Tell us the testimony of how you are so successful in your finances because you're honoring God. Tell us that kind of testimony because people out there do not know how. And they need to overcome their struggle by hearing you talk about how you overcame the same flipping one. I don't know why I'm yelling so much tonight. I promise I love y'all. Most of y'all. Here's, here's, here's another weapon. Thanksgiving. The Bible says make your requests known and peace will guard your hearts and minds. You, you want to learn how to fight? When stuff starts telling you how bad your life is? 
You don't, fi- you don't fight it by number one, just, hey, let me find someone that's going to make me feel better and edify me. Start giving God thanks, and it will guard your heart and your mind against the thing that is trying to whisper lies to you. Weapons. Verse 12. The priest brought out Joash, the king's son, and placed the crown on his head, presented him with a copy of God's laws. They anointed him and proclaimed him king, and everyone clapped their hands and shouted, Long live the king! Keep that up there if you don't mind. Look what happened. They presented him before the people. They put a crown on him. They put the word in his hands. You see that? It said they gave him a copy of God's laws. They anointed him, and then they praised him as king. Jesus, he's been presented to the people. A crown was placed on him. He came as the word. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And now we choose, praise him or reject him. But you cannot receive him while still making treaties with the enemy that rejects him. And I think that's where the, we got to pull the blinders off. We think that we can God, give God the same amount of praise with so much mixture. You can't. Because part of the praise is simply your life. I'm not saying we can't come in here and praise Jesus with problems. We're never going to be perfect. I'm talking about making intentional treaties that you know go against what God wants. All of us are, have things that we're getting out of. All of us have stuff that we're trying to get free from. That's probably going to be something, that is going to be something until the day he comes back to redeem us. I'm talking about intentional treaties and peace with things that are not of God that we make claiming to be sons and daughters. Verse 13, when Natalia heard the noise made by the palace guard and the people, she hurried to the Lord's temple to see what was happening. When she arrived, she saw the newly crowned king standing in his, this is a six-year-old, in the place of authority by the pillar, as was the custom in times of coronation. The commanders and trumpeters were surrounding him, and the people from all over, all over the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. When Atalia saw all this, she tore her clothes in despair and shouted, Treason! Treason! For six years she ruled, and all of a sudden her own grandson, who was not murdered by her, took the throne. And notice what she shouted. Treason. Because there was treason against her government. And when we stop making compromises and take back what is God's, there is a godly justified treason against wicked and false governments. But when we see treason shouted from the enemy, what happens is we have a false compassion that causes us to make peace instead of allowing God to take back the place. We're moved with compassion to accept what it is because we don't want anything to be hurt or offended. I heard someone say it this weekend, Clay Nash. You know what offense is? It's a choice. To be offended means you chose to take the thing and you chose how to respond to it. 
I don't know about you, but I want to get so lost in Christ that I don't care what you do, you cannot make me choose offense. Because in that moment, I choose thanksgiving, I choose praise. No, no, our compassion shouldn't move us to make a treaty. Our compassion should move us to minister to their lack. Not affirm it, not approve it. We should not tell them it's okay if you do this because God covers you with grace. We should say grace and mercy have made a way for you to be free and walk in your identity. But that's the mixture in the church. Oh, there's grace, it's okay. No, no, no. That's the treaty. It's not okay. And you've got to be okay with them knowing that. Not for your glory, not for you to be right, not for you to be affirmed, but because you love them as Christ loved you and you understand that they will not become who they're supposed to become living like they're living. It's not about necessarily, it's not about pointing out, oh my God, you're a horrible person, look at your lifestyle. It's about you know they will never reach their full potential in what they are. But I don't know about you, but with what God has called me to do, I have developed a whole different heart for people. I, 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 I get excited differently now. You know, you know we're, we're building this coffee shop, right? I, I'm, I'm not, I, there's going to be a lot of great fruit from it. We're going to be able to help things. We're going to be able to sow seed into things. We're going to, all kind. But you know what excites me? is seeing people step into positions and functions that no one else could have ever offered them. You know what excites me about leading a church? It's not getting a bunch of people in a room to listen to a sermon. It's creating a place where preachers who have been overlooked because you're not in the pulpit, you're going to be raised up here. You know what excites me? It excites me it is when people start walking into their purpose because God has called me to create a place where they can finally do it. Because I, I, I'm not afraid of what's in them. It's not about building this thing. What really excites me is, is positioning you to a place where you can excel to a place where you've never excelled before in the purpose that God has for you. And that should be the non-mixture of the church. We're not about let's build a name and let's build ourselves. It's about let's loose the bondage on people so they can become what God has created them to be way before they were even a thought with their mommy and daddy. But there's been so much mixture that the church has become a job. It's become a social organization instead of an army dressed for battle. You know, and there's nothing wrong with understanding that. An army is supposed to be close. We can be a family and an army at the same time, not one without the other. Am I, am I, is this, okay. John 8, 32 says this, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you'll, you'll be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. 
A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you are the descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I am telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. When we make treaties with sin, with their sin, we keep them in bondage because the treaty is made with a false father. They, they do not know they are a slave to something because the thing that has caused them to sin has become their influence. They call their father God when their father was really the affirmation of a friend. And they'll do anything, including go against the word, to get the affirmation. Their father is the advice of someone, not following God. The, 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 their father is their flesh. See, we have all these false fathers in our lives where we put them higher than the king, than our father. Verse 15. The priest ordered the commanders who were in charge of their troops, take her to the soldiers in front of the temple and kill anyone who tries to rescue her. The priest has said she must not be killed in the temple of the Lord. So they seized her and led her out to the gate where horses entered the palace grounds, and she was killed there. It's kind of funny. Jezebel was killed by three of her servants, and this woman is actually killed by her own executioners. Verse 17. Then the priest made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they would be the Lord's people. He also made a covenant between the king and the people. In a moment, evil was taken out, and a covenant was made between God and the people. But notice it says between God and then the people and the king. A covenant exists between God and man. And your position does not put you above the covenant or give you any more rights than anyone else. And sometimes where we make treaties... It's because our mind thinks that we can get above the covenant. Well, I know I'm pursuing God, but I deserve a break. I know I'm not supposed to do this thing, but I've been so good, I deserve to have a little fun. It's okay to let loose sometimes. You're making treaties. Because you think you've got more rights than someone else who doesn't pursue as much as you. Is this okay? Oh, yeah, y'all quiet. Because we've all said that stuff. All of us. And if you say you haven't, you is a liar. Or you're the second coming. <laughs> Hebrews 10. 26 and 27, dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we receive knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. This is New Testament now. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. Why? Grace made a way for a new covenant, but it's still a covenant. Hebrews, you know what Hebrews 9 tells us? Hebrews 9 says that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant between God 
and you. You know what it also says? It says we are set free from the penalty committed under the first covenant. That doesn't mean you get to deliberately sin because of grace. Grace says you are set free of anything the first covenant said kept you in sin. But in this new covenant, you don't get to keep deliberately making wrong decisions. Because New Testament, no sacrifice will cover that. None. Wait a minute, I thought Jesus died for my sins. He took care of the first covenant sins, and he says, pursue me. And he'll only call you a son or daughter if you pursue him with no mixture. That doesn't mean you won't have stuff you're getting out of. But when you deliberately make decisions that you know are not of him, he says, that's not my son. I know this is heavy, but this is the stuff that people skip. <clears throat> we cannot make peace deliberately walking out of step with God. We can't do it. We've got to say, God, I, I, I am not going to pursue this stuff anymore. I don't want to make treaties with this lifestyle that, that I know is not a lifestyle that I need. And don't tell me you're not strong enough. Because the God I know says, where you're weak, he is strong. So you have no excuse for weakness. Because where you're, where you're weak, he provides the strength. The only place that is weak is you just simply not wanting all of them. And I know right now, everyone's got stuff in their minds. Going, oh my gosh, like the, the pastor is saying that Jesus can't cover my sins. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about a deliberate acceptance of stuff and you make room for it because you say grace will cover it, but grace will not. But grace says you can return at any point. The rest of the passage. All the people of the land went over to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They demolished the altars and smashed the idols to pieces. They killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altars. The priest stationed guards at the temple of the Lord, and then the commanders, the Karite mercenaries, the palace guards, and all the people of the land escorted the king from the temple of the Lord. They went through the gate of the guards and into the palace, and the king took his seat on a royal throne. Six years old. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was peaceful because Atalia had been killed in the king's palace, and Joash was seven years old when he became king. See, at this point in the days of Elisha, now the altars of Baal had not only just been destroyed in Samaria, but now in Jerusalem. And this time, you know what they were destroyed by? Not some renegade named Jehu, but by the people. And they didn't stop with the altars. It says they broke the altars and the idols and everything that did not give glory to God. And I'm telling you, the day of no mixture has come where we've got to say anything that exists in this temple that does not give him glory, it's time to break it. 
it's time to get it out. Something interesting. We see a detail about Queen Natalia's reign in 2 Chronicles. I want you to look at this verse. This is the last one I'm going to close, 24-7. Over the years, the followers of wicked Atalia had broken into the temple of God. And they had used all the dedicated things from the temple of the Lord to worship the images of Baal. They took things from the temple of God and used it to worship a false god. But isn't that the very thing that's going on today? Everything was created for God's glory, and yet we've used it for ours and everything else. And you know what the church has done? We sit back and we watch it happen, and we say, let's pray that God comes back. We don't need to pray that God's come back, coming back. It's a promise. He is. Don't waste your prayer life on that. I'm being real. God, come back. Yeah, I told you I was. Move on. What we've got to do is say, God, where is it that you have called me to restore worship to you? First of all, in my life, then everywhere else. We've got to say, I'm not going to say it's okay. I'm not going to run with it. I am not compromising anymore. I will not, I, I, will, I, may, I may not be able to make everyone worship my God, but I will no longer allow a mixture making treaties with false idols, ideals, and especially false kings. We've got to get to a place where we say, my life will be a life of sacrifice consecrated for the glory of the one true God. No more of this mixture stuff. No more of this, Jesus paid a price so that I can. No, he paid a price so that there would be unity with the Father and you could represent him like you were supposed to do. He paid a price to redeem your life. He paid a price to redeem your purpose. He paid a price so that your voice would be heard straight to the Father instead of through man. That's what he paid the price for. He didn't pay a price so that you could live how you want, so that you could tell people it's okay to do what we need to do. He didn't pay a price for a church to, to come here to worship God and then do everything else outside for the glory of self, for the glory of anything else. He paid a price so that we would have no mixture and, and, and represent him so that wherever we go, darkness cannot stay. Where wherever we go, the enemy runs and flees. But the problem is, there's so much mixture in us that the enemy stands in our churches and laughs at us. But I say today, not this, not this house. I say today, we say, God, you are worthy of everything. You're worthy of my playlist. You're worthy of my reading material. You're worthy of my shows. You're worthy of my relationships. You're worthy of my workplace. You're worthy of how I talk about people. You are worthy of how I choose not to gossip anymore. You're worthy of my finances. You're worthy of, I mean, every, everything. God, you're worthy of it all. You are worthy of everything, Lord. No more mixture. No more compromise. I praise God 
that he raises up these Jehoshebas today. The ones who say, I'm preserving. I'm preserving what God wants. I believe this house is called to be one of those Jehoshebas, if you will. I believe we're called to be the ones to say we're not going to stand for injustice anymore and we're not going to stand for all this mixture. We, we are going for God like no one else. I, I know we got to close, but I, I, just, I, I don't know how to move on from this right now. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that who will ever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But there's so many people perishing that claim they know the son. And we separate ourselves and we, we, we look to our own understanding. We do all these things and it's, it's mixture. Why not be vulnerable and say, I've got this issue and I need my brothers and sisters to help restore me? You know why that don't, hap that don't happen? Because people feel judged in the wrong way. What, what, if, what, what if we could be that house where transparency was okay? What if we could be that house that actually pursued all of God and not just some? What if we could be that house where when we said it's time for a prayer meeting, we're so hungry where we don't look at it as an event. We say we are, we, we are coming before the throne of the Almighty on behalf of this fallen city. What, what if we could be that house where if all the power went out, it would not affect our praise? I remember one of the most powerful times in worship in this house. It, 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 was, it was years ago. We were renting out a space in Savannah, and the power went out. And all we had was an acoustic guitar and about 80 people. No lights, nothing. And everyone said, are, are we just going to postpone? I said, if I can just say, hell no, we ain't going to postpone. <laughs> Literally, hell no, you're not having your way. And people sang, and it was ugly. <laughs> and you heard the voices of those who couldn't do it. But it was so good. We, 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 we've made church into this entertainment thing, and this let me feel better on a Saturday night to get me through my Monday through Friday. You know what this is supposed to be? Come here to get your assignments. Come here to get ready. Come here to give glory to God in the midst of all the stuff that's coming against you. Not make treaties with everything so that you feel a little better for a moment. No more compromise. No more treaties. Let's pursue him with everything we got. And I guarantee when we do that, we're going to see legitimate change. Do you agree with me, church? Amen. Let's stand. Can we give God praise tonight? Amen.
Let's lift our hands together. Lord, we thank you so much for this word. I, I, it was a hard word, but God, we, I, just, I thank you for it. I thank you for exposing the false ideas that we can choose to deliberately uh, walk in ways that you have told us not to walk in. And, and, and we say no more compromise. We know you love us. We know that you have redeemed us and accepted us. And because of that, God, because you first loved us, because you have accepted us, because you have redeemed us, God, we say we are going to believe every no and every yes that you give us is for our betterment is for our purpose is for our destiny and is for your glory i declare in the name of jesus that we begin to live a life as a house and individually where we don't make treaties but we stand for who you are no more mixture so that the light from this house would be so bright darkness is repelled by it darkness cannot stay and it would spread like wildfire through the area a true lasting restoration over savannah georgia and all around and we declare all these things in jesus name